How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near the altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you, Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength, till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Selah. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who are blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Well, good morning. It's glad to be in the house of the Lord and an honor to read God's word. Um, Hebrews 11.32 to Hebrews 12.3. And what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kings, kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fires, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy, They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves in the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, they should not be made perfect apart from us. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Morning. Uh, Today's reading is um, from Matthew, 
chapter 7, verses 20, uh, 24 through 29, found on pages 895 in the Pew Bible. Okay, here we go. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken them to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus ended these sayings that the people were astounded at his teaching, for he taught, as, uh, taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Amen. Well, thank you, Scott and Melissa, for those readings. When we think about the, the uh, Hebrews reading, we find ourselves in some very painful places. Because the description is almost a tag-on, and yet it's, it's more than can be digested. You see, Hebrews in the faith chapter, the author has been talking about all of these great people who have served God. Stories familiar especially to Hebrew people, to Jewish people in the Old Testament, recounted the great Bible stories illustrating the ways in which God had led and moved people in the past or present. And then he says, and what shall I say about these other characters? Jephthah and Barak and so forth. Listed then are the martyrs in their various forms of witness. And if you read the descriptions, if you remember what was just read, they're vivid and most cruel. Those beheaded by sword and killed by the sword. Those flayed and skinned. Those who have been killed by animals, wild animals. And countless other forms of torturous death, imprisoned and chained and bound and beaten and spat upon, mocked and treated horribly, condescendingly, jeeringly, impoverished. Boy, that's a bad one, isn't it? You ever seen the bumper sticker? Poverty sucks. usually on a Mercedes-Benz. <laughs> yeah, let that sink in for a while. Made to wear animal skins, living in mountains, in caves, banished from society. Untended, uncared for. This is a group of people being described who honored God whatever the circumstances were. Theirs was a witness that I, in many ways, hope none of us ever have to bear. And then we get to Matthew, 
And it's a different piece entirely. Set in the Beatitudes, Jesus is doing his teaching, his, some of his most famous teaching. And he lays out this very simple illustration. He tells the story of Little Red Riding Hood and the three wolves. The three pigs, excuse me. Am I getting all my stories messed up? The three little pigs and the wolf, that's the one, yeah. <laughs> Time to read the fairy tales over again. It's been a while, as you can plainly see. We'll work it all in somehow, I'm not sure yet, but it'll, it'll work itself out. One pig builds a house of brick, one straw and one wood, and the wolf comes along, of course, to the straw house first and says, come out, little pig, or I'll blow your house down, and he does. Same with the wood but he can't blow down the brick house. Now we in California go to the East Coast and see houses made of brick and we think, wow, how do they afford to do that? They come out here and look and say, what is this stucco stuff? But I tell you what, you don't want a big brick house in an earthquake. So we figured it out pretty good. The big bad wolf of the West Coast shakes and shakes and most of our houses don't come down, thankfully. We've got that part figured out. But the illustration that Jesus tells is of a man who just builds his house without regard to soil composition, liquefaction factors, geological reports. He just decides to put it wherever it suits him, and the easiest place is usually the level place. And the level place is often the valley, and the valley is often where the water flows. And so he builds his house on sand. The wise man takes a moment and discerns where the granite is. Even if it's decomposing, it's better than nothing. And he puts his house up on the rock. The rains come, the flash floods come. The sandy soiled house has nothing to stand upon and it's soon washed away. The house built upon the rock endures. And it isn't a difficult parable. This isn't rocket science. Anybody sitting there would have known immediately what he was referring to. We can flesh it out in at least two ways. One, we can say, yes, the rock, something solid and firm. Next, we can say, yes, it's a spiritual lesson. And, the, excuse me, the rock is Jesus. So we build on Christ. I don't know if we can really go beyond that, but I'd, I'd like to suggest that building on that rock is a lifetime endeavor. Multiple steps. Multiple choices, daily choices. I'm going to put myself and build my life on the rock. And there... I'll be safe. Now we fast forward to modern times and that illustration has been stolen by a financial company. Any of you know which one it is? Oh, you're good TV watchers. Prudential the Rock, yes. Is Prudential the Rock? Is it even a rock? Did it survive the last big uh, meltdown? I can't, I don't care. I don't know if it did or didn't. It's not the rock, but that's how it advertised itself. 
once again, we've uh, I've taken license with some creativity and and uh, chosen to illustrate my sermon this way. You have on the front, of course, bullion. Everybody's investing in gold except me. I should reread Revelation 3 and get with the program. But um, what goes up does come down. And then next to it, an old picture of Wall Street itself. And of course, that's in the news all the time now because of the big sit-in, the protest. And then below it, believe it or not, that is the bull and the bear fighting, illustrating the markets and the tensions of the uh, downturn and the upswing all the time. And then finally, an, a picture of an old newspaper from, yes, you guessed it, October 29, 1929, Black Tuesday. It was not a pretty day. That's why they called it that. Believe it or not, we've had uh, larger drops in the stock market in recent memory than happened that day. But it was so shocking to the world and to the financial world that many who had tremendous fortunes found themselves all of a sudden without fortune. Now, I hesitate to, to uh, recommend certain movies, but I will at least reference this one in relationship to an illustration. Uh, Trading Places is a humorous tale of two people who end up uh, switching lives in very interesting kind of ways related to markets and wealth. And uh, the, the one who has been so uh, impoverished in the past plans a perfect moment of revenge in which the very wealthy find themselves based on false information losing their fortunes. And the desperation that goes with that is palpable. It's unbelievable, even in this comedy. And so many put their, their livestock there. Now, if you've read my little uh, letter inside, you know that I, I confess I'm invested in Wall Street and uh, continue to be disappointed. Uh, and hope that one day, maybe, when I'm... How old are you now, Edna? How old are you now? 89. Maybe when I'm 89, I can retire. <laughs> I don't know. Thankfully, uh, <laughs> uh, wow, yeah. Um, any of you feel the same way? Thank you, Birker, I'm sorry. I, you and I can go to lunch and have a split a salad and commiserate afterward. <laughs> okay, so let's pull this all together because we've been in several very different places. And let's ask ourselves what signs mean. We live in a time of financial turbulence. Unemployment is growing, not shrinking. There's great discontent with government. Whatever side of it you end up on, there is a failure of conversation. We're no longer able to have civil discourse in community 
about ideas to save the country were ideologically severed and split. Unable to hear and unable to share and in many respects unable to be reasonable in that discourse. And as citizens we've participated in the lies and bought into it on both sides. And that's disappointing because as citizens of a bigger kingdom we need to be seekers of truth and reconcilers. But we live in a time not only of social and political and uh, economic upheaval, but we live in a time in which there's volatility unlike there's ever been. I mean, if you have, for argument's sake, let's say you're uh, getting close to retirement, and you have half a million in, in retirement, which isn't as much as it used to be. In fact, that used to be a huge fortune. It's, uh, you know, going to get you 10 years down the road maybe now. But if you had half a million socked away, we have fluctuations so big that in any given week, your half a million dollars could be less than $400,000. That's craziness. It's craziness, the times in which we're participating and living. And I don't know how uh, you think, but I know it's tempting for me with my background to look at this and say, all signs of the nearness of the coming of Jesus. And you all say amen. And yet, Black Tuesday was October 29, 82 years ago. People shot themselves, flung themselves off balconies. They were ruined, committed suicide, uh, horrible things going on. And of course, the Great Depression, we still haven't gotten to as bad as it was then now in many ways. But what will your anchor be in all of this turbulence? Let me play devil's advocate and say, let's suppose that this is just another one of those things Jesus talked about that we talked about last week in Matthew 24. One of these signs, there'll be wars and rumors and wars and famines and pestilences and uncertainty in the financial markets. That's a Greg paraphrase, I hope you'll tolerate. What if times get much, much worse? Now, I asked the question in my newsletter, in my little letter there, uh, when do I know, when to cash out and uh, call my agent at Revelation Realty? It was just at the conference on innovation and Samir Salmanovich spoke, fascinating mind and individual. And he suggested a radical new approach to remnant. And I, I'm going to throw it out here now just so you can be thinking about it in light of all of this swirl of other things happening as we think about signs in the end of time. He said, God spoke to Moses and said, stand aside, I'm going to destroy the people and I will make of you a great nation. And what did Moses do? Moses said, God, I don't think you want to do that. And I'm not going to stand aside. I will stand with my people. If you will have mercy on me, have mercy on them. 
And if you will not have mercy on them, take me instead. And God relented. And the people were saved. Samir suggests that that is a model of remnant. Moses standing with his people. He suggests that for him at the end of time, it's not going to be running to the hills. He will not be calling his agent at Revelation Realty. He will be standing with people in the cities. God's people. He's suggesting that the remnant will be those who are loving those around them ministering to those around them, being God's presence to those around them right to the very end. Interesting idea. You can find all the fault you'd like to with it. And uh, as you study what he actually says, uh, maybe it'll, it'll jar your own thinking. I know it jarred mine. But what if this is just another cycle? What if it's not the end? What if the end is not yet? What do I need to be doing? We get a few clues from the texts we've read today, and I'm not going to drag this out for you. The first thing we understand is that God's people have always gone through periods of terrible suffering. You can read that in Hebrews. I don't say that to steal you. I say that because it's an unhappy fact of history and Christian experience. It's an unhappy fact that there are cycles and times in our world and in our planet in which great hostility seems to exist toward the notion of faith. And people do very inhuman things in response to that hostility. We don't know when that day will come, but I see an increasing hostility to faith in the, in the country in which we live. I challenge you in popular media to find a positive representation of a pastor particularly or Christianity in general. I challenge you. At the very best, we're portrayed as greedy. At the very worst, we're portrayed as child molesters or homosexuals or something else. people who are taking advantage of the ignorant religious. Good luck finding a positive metaphor, positive uh, example or illustration of pastor in media. And then Christian. Whoa, we don't have a good image out there. Ask the general public. We're judgmental. I'm not talking about Seventh-day Adventists per se, I'm talking about Christianity. We're judgmental, narrow-minded. We're homophobic. We're, list the adjective. Not that many people surveyed said we're generous. We're sharing. We're loving. We're great citizens. So the hostility is mounting. It's growing. The sign is there. It's happening. 
And I don't know where that's going to take us. I don't know. I know we have choices about how we interact with the world that can help reverse that. But I don't know where that's going to take us. And I look at that, and I look at the economic times, and I, like you, say, who knows? Maybe his coming is very near, praise God. But if it isn't, what? And the answer is in Matthew 7. The, Matthew, the, the answer is in Acts 17. We build our house on the rock which is Christ, acknowledging that in him we live and move and have our being. We put our stock that the God who creates by word and saves by word will empower us by word and redeem a planet by word, recreating it and making all things new by the generativity of word. Behold, God says, I make all things new. Now I'm going to rock your world. What if that does not apply only to the end? What if that applies now? How do we get to be God's people in the world making all things new through his word? Are you made new? Is your witness made new? Is your workplace made new? Is your community revitalized and made new? That's the choice because no man knows the day or the hour remember our bulletin our, our billboards on the front of the bulletin from last week that was awkward no man knows the day or the hour we can throw the Hail Mary pass of life on this planet and hope that God does catch the ball and save everything before it's too late but that begs the question of stewardship. Begs the question of how we live now. It begs the question of what we build our lives on. It begs the question of what our priorities are. It begs the question of who we serve and how we serve. Those get answered in where we live in Christ and how we move in Christ and in whom we have our being in Christ and by whose name we heal and comfort and love and touch and serve in Christ. That's what we're called to. It's really tempting to call the agent, to cash out while I'm low. It's really tempting to find 40 acres of something somewhere and plant apricot trees and start collecting ammunition. Get my mail order gun business going. Build a cellar with all kinds of steel doors and locks and seeds and apocalyptic stuff and 
really tempting. It's really tempting to go hide, to get away from it all, to put my head in the sand. It's really tempting to step away from what's negative in the world. It's really tempting to be self-sufficient and claim that it's going to be God's way of taking care of me. That was harsh, I know. And he does tell us, put on white raiment, buy gold refined in the fire, an eye salve for your eyes that you can see. Tells us all of these things. But when it comes to the question of how shall we live, the answer is really simple. Whatever the signs economically, whatever the signs socially, we live in Him. I am the vine, you're the branch. If you want life to mean something, if you want to have an impact, if you want to be in partnership with me, if you want to experience the joy of productivity, abide in me and I will abide in you and great things are going to happen because your house will be built on the rock. And when tougher times come, it won't be blown away. Think of these praised in Hebrews. They endured everything. And if we read Revelation, their voices cry out, how long, O Lord, until we're avenged? But only he knows the day or the hour. Only he gets to make all things right. And until then, you have a choice and I have a choice. Where will you build your house? So, Lord our God, anchor our souls firmly to you that we might withstand whatever comes. For we know not the day and the hour. Amen.